For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Dusty Porter, and we'll explore how to create a live show on YouTube. By the way, if you want to reach me, email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle, here is this week's survival tip. This week I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a cool do-it-yourself graphic design tool called Easel. Easel? How do you spell that? E-A-S-I-L. Tell me more. So Easel is essentially an online, you know, graphic design tool where, you know, a lot of people would say, hey, that's kind of like Canva. And they'd be right. But this has a bunch of different other features and templates to it. Uh, And in fact, it was Jeff C., who tipped me off to this one, he said, hey, this is one I really like to use for Instagram or Facebook stories because he's found that the templates and the uh, diversity inside of Easel are really good for that specific use. So, okay, so tell me tell me more. Like, what, what does it do exactly? So what it does, I mean, again, it's got like thousands of customizable templates. It, you know, it starts it off where you go in and you're like, okay, kind of have an idea of what I want to create, what I'm looking for, and then you kind of hone in. And then once you find one that you really like, you start to tweak with it, whether that's the font or the color scheme, uh, the background, those different kinds of things. Um, and, and again, it's one of those things where you may not be a designer, but you can kind of fake it enough with tools like this that do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. Right. I'm looking at it right now. It looks like it makes it really easy for you to change the fonts, change the, mm-hmm. the shades inside of the fonts, move things around. Um, is this a desktop-based app or is it a mobile app or what is it, it exactly? Yeah, it's a desktop-based app inside of the browser. So you would go to, you know, you'd create an account and there's free templates or sorry, free trials for that. Huh. And there's a free level for it as well. And once you log in, then you've got all your saved assets in there and you know, it can start getting to work. Yeah, it looks really quite interesting. It looks like they've got a really good creative font set, which is I think part of what makes some of this stuff look so cool. Mm-hmm. And it sounds looks like they have a lot of different templates that you can just drop stuff into, huh? Yeah, they've also got something in there called uh, Easel Stock. It's images that are updated. Yeah, it's uh, images that are updated regularly. So it's kind of like, you know, stock footage that's right. included in your account. Very interesting. What's the pricing model on this? 
Yeah, so the pricing model on this is there is a free version, and that's for individuals, and it's got unlimited. It's just got you know a limitation on how many different things you can do. Like you can't like download a GIF or a PDF or different things like that. But then you jump up to the Plus model, which is a seven fifty a month uh, cost there, and then there's like a higher up level than that that's like fifty nine dollars a month. And, you know, with each level that you jump up, you get more stuff, but there is a, a free trial for that, that plus version, that first level of, of paid. And it looks like this really is designed for Instagram. Would you agree? I mean, for Instagram, vert- for vertical video, right? Or, yeah, or, yeah, or vertical, yeah, vertical, whatever you want to call it. I mean, is it video or is it stills? I mean, it's stills really, isn't it? It's stills. Yeah. It's all, it's all images and it's, I mean, there's a lot, there, there's squares, there's uh, vertical images, uh, I believe there's landscape images as well. It's just that from what I've seen, the templates, in, in again, in, in regards to what Jeff said, the Instagram stories and the vertical images stuff that they have in there is pretty much the best thing he's seen. So Perfect. Where do we find it? You find it at easel.com. That's E-A-S-I-L.com. Thank you, Eric. You're welcome. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. And now for today's interview with Dusty Porter. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today I'm excited to be joined by Dusty Porter. If you don't know who Dusty is, he's a video and tech expert. He hosts the YouTube Creators Hub podcast, and he's also very active on YouTube and is a TubeBuddy ambassador. Dusty, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate you having me. Super excited about being here. Have listened to your show for a long time. Cannot wait to start talking about some of this stuff with you today. Awesome. Well, we're going to explore what goes into creating a live show on YouTube which is definitely not something I have focused on. Before we go there, I'd love to hear your story. Uh, How in the world did you get into YouTube and then ultimately into live video? So uh, as mentioned, kind of a pre-show here, it's kind of a crazy story. I'll try to, again, condense it as much as possible, but I kind of want the audience to kind of know kind of where I'm coming from because I think later in the show, talking about live streaming and things like that, they're going to get a better viewpoint of kind of where I'm coming from. So Basically, when when I was much younger than I am now, Mike, I uh, I had an idea where someone wanted me to show them how to do something. And so they sent me an email and it was somebody I was working on a, a freelance project with. And they said, well, I don't really know how to use this set of tools. The, uh, the tool was actually InDesign. So it was Adobe InDesign. They're mm-hmm. like, well, you do a video for me. So I'd never done a screencast, never done a YouTube video in my life. So I did this video. I made it public on a platform back then that I didn't know very well called YouTube and uploaded it, called my channel Technology Guru 77, which by the way, if you're out there and you're naming your YouTube channel, by all means, for the love of God, do not name your YouTube channel with numbers on the end of it. It's just awful. (laughs) But anyways, uploaded this video, sent the link out to my friends, completely forgot about it. Uh, About a year later, I get an email from Google that they're doing what they called the partner program on YouTube. And they said, your video is doing really well. Uh, Would you like to be partner with Google and make a little money? What 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 year was this, by the way? This was back in 2007. Wow. And so this was 2007. I was just graduating high school, 
in college. And I was like, of course I want money from a video I forgot about a year ago. So yes, I do want to do that. And so I, I finally found my password, which by the way, Mike, I had no idea how to log into my YouTube channel at this point. And so I log into my YouTube channel. I see that this video, no kidding, has 208,000. I remember exactly 208,310 views on it. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is insane. So this video that I did, which was, by the way, poor quality, I sounded like, uh, uh, let's be, I'm gonna be honest, I sounded like a country redneck. I really did, I, I sounded awful. And this video had been viewed by more than 200,000 people. And so I sat back and I thought to myself, there's something to this. And so that day, Mike, literally, uh, right around 2008, getting into 2009, as kind of I got my gear and got my studio, kind of that kind of thing going on, I began my I began my journey as an entrepreneur and, and, and began my journey of creating my business, which is now Porter Media, which then has led to uh, now 700 videos on YouTube that has now led to over 100 streams on YouTube and Twitch and Facebook and other platforms. Uh, and that has also led to uh, a podcast that is very successful as well. And so I, I say all of that. I want you guys to kind of hear my story and I want you to know that you, you don't have to be a professional or the, the, the best at what you do right now. But if you want to learn something and get to the point to where you are, then sometimes it just happens by happenstance. And that was kind of my story. And that led me to actually take some classes at my local, uh, uh, I guess you would call it a tech college, a Lanier Tech College that actually helped me, uh, I guess you would say, iron out and get my skills kind of honed for videography, for audio production, which has kind of got me to where I am today. Now, when did you start doing live video on YouTube? So the live video came, I was pretty quick to the scene. Now, YouTube, unfortunately, Mike, and I think you know this, um, Twitch is, is, it came from like, you know, Justin TV was kind of the birth of live streaming, which then evolved and got bought out by Twitch. And now Twitch has obviously been bought out by Amazon. So those guys were kind of first to market, but then YouTube came to the scene. And unfortunately, in the beginning stages of streaming on YouTube, the, the software, the actual systems were really bad. Um, there was only like a button. You couldn't even set up events and you couldn't plan things on YouTube. And so right around when YouTube released the live streaming feature, I tried it out. I kind of dabbled in it, but I really didn't get into it uh, in, in, in kind of depth like I am now uh, until about 2014, so maybe late 2013, so about five years ago is when I really started to understand that maybe not right now, but in the future, live streaming is going to be where it's at. And the videos are, we call them VODs, videos on demand, which is what YouTube generally is. You're just going and you're searching for a video and you're watching it after someone uploads it. The live streaming, the benefits for streaming just for me outweigh that of uploaded videos. Were you doing the Google Hangouts on air and all that stuff when Google Plus was around? Is that how you were uh, doing it? Unfortunately, Mike, yes. I, I was a part <laughs> of the Google Plus and the Google Hangouts, which by the way, Google continually updated them and, the, and finally towards the end there with Google Plus, uh, RIP, uh, rest in peace there, Google Plus. Uh, it's towards the end, it did get to a point to where it was bearable and it was fine. But YouTube has made such great strides to actually put themselves in a position now to where I can say that they're actually in the game now when it comes to live streaming. Awesome. Okay, so... Um Perfect. Thank you for sharing that backstory. So for those that are listening right now that maybe have done stuff on uh, Facebook and or Periscope, but they've really never thought about putting a, any kind of show together on YouTube hmm. 
or maybe they've experienced Facebook Live because it seems to be more pre- prevalent over there, but they, they want to do more on YouTube. Where do they need to start? Like, what do we need to be thinking about? Uh, feel free to go wherever you want to go there. So I think the first thing you have to understand is that streaming on Facebook and streaming on YouTube, you can do it by using and utilizing the same tools, but the majority of people, Mike, streaming through Periscope or on, over on Facebook are doing it, major, the majority of people are doing it through their mobile devices, and they're they're hitting that live button there, and they're doing it that way. Very few of them are actually using tools like OBS, which is what we're going to talk about later, but if you want to get started, and, and you, you kind of already have your feet wet with actually the whole live show kind of thing, then Basically, what you need to do is obviously, if you don't have a YouTube channel, obviously start a YouTube channel and, and and get the name. And by the way, that stuff is very important, by the way, the name and the branding and the imagery and things like that. But once you do that, I, I call YouTube a college for me, Mike. I call it YouTube University. And there are so many great resources and uh, not to, to toot my own horn, horn here, but before we got on this call a couple of hours ago, Mike, I searched on YouTube for live streaming videos and things like that. And uh, a lot of my videos are, are ranking in, in the top five and, and top, top 10 videos on live streaming. And it's because I try to make it simple. And when you're thinking about starting to live stream on YouTube, it's literally you download a free piece of software called OBS, Open Broadcast Software, and then you get a YouTube channel, and then basically you go to the live streaming tab, and YouTube literally, Mike, walks you through it step by step of how to set it up, how to set up your encoder, how to get everything working, and then boom, within 30 minutes to an hour, you can go ahead and set up your either first event or your first live stream, and you're off to the races. Now, you do a show for TubeBuddy, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I do. I, in tandem with my podcast, my audio-only podcast with them called Two Buddy Express, I do a monthly live stream, which is where I really believe I've kind of honed my skills and kind of have gotten to a point to where I feel like I can help people and I, I, I mentor people on live streaming. And so the show, basically, I just call it, you know, Two Buddy Live is kind of what what Phil and the guys over there, kind of what we've done. And basically for an hour, I get on live stream over on the Two Buddy YouTube channel. And uh, for, for your audience who, you know, they may not know what TubeBuddy is. It's a it's a browser and a, a app that actually helps people, makes you more efficient on YouTube. It's a fantastic tool, by the way. Um, but with TubeBuddy, um, I get on their YouTube channel and I interact with the audience. I answer their questions. And for the most part, every month I have a themed live stream on a specific topic on YouTube. So whatever people, you know, whatever questions I may be getting in that month or uh, questions from the podcast or email from my personal website, whatever it may be, let's just use, for example, uh, why should you A-B test thumbnails on YouTube? That's the topic of the stream. And then I will go for about an hour to an hour and a half. And then a, a couple of the guys over at TubeBuddy will be moderating that for me. And then I've been doing that now for almost two and a half years. Now, when you go live on YouTube, are you generally doing it just like your podcast where you've got your content all figured out and you kind of know what you're going to say? Or do you leave structure in there for interaction with the audience? So that's a great question. And it's really about balance. I've found that different people like to work different ways. Um, I'm a big fan of, of, of what Michael Hyatt does over on his content. And, and he does some live streaming now. And he was talking in, in one of his articles about how in the beginning he was very scripted and he realized that it kind of took away from the organic, I guess he would say transparency of the actual live stream. And so 
when I started with the two buddy streams, I was so, so nervous and I had everything scripted out to a T. I had bullet points. I had numbers above these bullet points and I had spreadsheets and I had all of this fancy stuff of what I wanted to cover, when I wanted to cover it. I even had these really, uh, these really whimsical slides that would pop up and they would do like these audio sound effects when they would come in the stream. And I realized that People are at your live stream for the content, especially those streams that like I'm doing for TubeBuddy that are value-based, that are educational. People are there for the content, not for the bells and whistles. And so it's all about balancing the fun, the, the colorful, the bells and whistles with the actual content. And so now as I go and get ready for a live stream, like I have one this week coming up on Thursday, I'm actually collaborating with another TubeBuddy streamer, an ambassador. And so we'll actually bounce off each other and, and that'll be a lot of fun to do that. But for the most part, I have, you know, a couple of bullet points of, of what I want to cover. And then I just go from there. On Facebook, it's kind of known that if you go live, you get a bit of a boost in the newsfeed. On YouTube, is there any kind of boost in exposure from going live versus just uploading a video? So I'm actually glad that you asked that right after that previous question. And here's why, because uh, the the sexy word right now in in, in the whole YouTube I guess you would say ecosystem is watch time. You're going to hear every YouTube educator. If you're, if you're watching anything from, from the, the, the popular YouTube educators out there, they're going to be harping and talking a lot about watch time, watch time. And if you're a new person to the platform, like you have no idea, like it makes sense. Yeah. You know what watch time is, but what is the value of it? And the beauty of a live stream is that if you're streaming like I do for even on my personal channel, when I do live streams of like a podcast or something like that, I can go upwards of two hours, two and a half hours. And let's just say you've got a handful of say 25, 50, 75, hundred people that are watching your live stream. YouTube counts that time that they're watching towards your channel. And so live streams do have a tendency of showing up more in related search, in related videos because of the actual watch time. And when I started live streaming, I actually saw some data, Mike, that I, if, if you're okay, I, I kind of want to share. Yeah, go for it. It. Won't, it. it won't take long. My subscriber count, which by the way, if you're a YouTuber or thinking about getting on YouTube, is an absolute mundane number. Like people should not be- It's a vanity cool. metric, right? It's, it's vanity. It's for people's egos. Okay. Let's just be real with what it is. And so what I want to say with, with the data that I, I've, and I've put this in a spreadsheet, I'm, I'm a Google sheets nerd, by the way, Mike, I, I love getting in and, and looking at analytics. And so I put this data in there when I started live streaming on my personal channel channel, which by the way, was about a little over a year ago, I, I began to lose subscribers. Hmm. But the, the, the crazy thing is my views per day and per month went up almost 20%. And also my revenue from the ad program there on, on YouTube, which by the way is, is, is pennies, is, is nothing, went up tremendously as well around 17 or 18%. And so the data showed me that yes, there may be some subscribers of mine that are not fans of me getting on live streaming a couple of times a week, but the people who are coming on are watching and consuming my content and they're becoming what I call the, the, the rabid fan base that I want and that most businesses and YouTubers want the people that will come on, hit that bell notification icon there and, and want to be notified every time I upload or go live on the channel. Awesome. So before we get into the tech, I don't, okay, let me say it this way. If there, is there anything else that we need to know before we start getting into the tech? If not, then let's go ahead and dive right into the tech. Yes. Yeah, so just, just briefly, I just, I want the, the, the audience, your audience to know that I think the biggest barrier to entry 
and I could say a lot of things right now about how you structure your stream, but I think the big, biggest barrier to entry for most people when I kind of, uh, they hire me to do a little for coaching for their YouTube channel, live streaming is that they're afraid to get on camera. Mm-hmm. They're afraid to get in front of a microphone and live streaming is a little scarier to be honest with you, than than uploading videos, because when you upload a video, you can just say, oh, messed up there, boom, let's start over, put a little click here, and we'll just do it as many times until we get it perfect or until we perfect it. A live stream, you're on there, you're live, you're in front of people, you're vulnerable, and so what I would tell people is, it's not that scary, and the more that you do it, the better you're gonna get, just like with anything else, and I wanna encourage people that the longer they wait, the more ahead of the game other people are gonna get in their industry, and they're going to be kind of left behind. So don't be afraid to get in front of that mic, to get that webcam and get in front of the camera. And I just want to add something here. Um, I think that there's a great more flexibility for imperfection in a live stream than there is in a pre-record. I mean, they, when you're uploading a video, people kind of expect it to be a little more perfected. But when you're live, they're totally fine with <laughs> the crazy stuff that happens, right? I mean, like because that's normal. <laughs> yes. It's absolutely normal. And a side note, funny story here that'll take literally 10 seconds. I, uh, as I mentioned before, I live stream on TubeBuddy. And so I obviously have access to their YouTube channel and whatnot. Well, for some reason, I was doing a tutorial video on how to use OBS or something on OBS. I accidentally hit the stream button instead of record. And so (laughs) I was getting like messages and emails from the TubeBuddy team and things like that of, hey, you're on stream, but you're like talking and you're making mistakes and you're doing them over again. I'm like, oh my goodness, guys, let me hit, where's the, where's the button? Where's the eject button? I was so (laughs) embarrassed. So listen, guys, we've all made mistakes. And and just like Mike said, it it leaves more room for people to, to actually see who you are and what you're about. Not the fake I'm not going to I'm not going to say any bad words here, but not the fake stuff that that other people may see that you want them to see out there. They kind of get the real you during a live stream. Awesome. Okay, let's transition over to the tech. Um, Do you want to start with the software or do you want to start with the audio or where do you want to start? So I think we need to start with the software. Okay. Uh, I think the software is kind of where the home base per se for live streaming. And now I'm going to be talking about three letters a lot in the next segment here about tech. And and those letters are OBS and that stands for open broadcasting software. Now OBS is free. It is available for all the platforms. It is available for windows. It is available for Mac. It is available for even Linux. And so there's really no barrier to entry. Um, and unfortunately the Mac and Linux versions, because I've tested both of them are a little, uh, slower on the feature sets, but they continue to get updates and they're continually catching up with the PC side and the PC version of OBS. Now, OBS, Mike, is what's going to allow us to transfer our video feed as well as our audio and what's happening on screen out to the world. And so when, when I kind of took notes on this, I kind of put it this way is that with OBS, that's the tool, that's the hand that's delivering the actual content. And so by using OBS and watching tutorials on YouTube, which by the way, I don't care if you watch mine or not, but there's, there's some great tutorials out there showing you from start to finish how to use OBS. But OBS is the tool that I use most, Mike, and it is the tool that has made streaming so much easier for me. We should probably mention that OBS works with Facebook and with YouTube. So what you're talking about here is just as applicable to Facebook streaming as it is to YouTube. 
And that's kind of when I, I see these streams on Facebook, I kind of, I kind of wonder like, why aren't you guys using OBS? Like you have this feature, this, this software for you. And again, OBS works with Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, and all of the different services that you can stream on. And I assume very soon the way that things are moving with, uh, Instagram TV and Snapchat, you're probably going to be soon be able to do it on those platforms as well. Uh, but OBS and, and Mike, I think you know this as well. OBS is such a robust tool for free it's just really it'd be hard to use something else so what exactly do people need to know about using obs because i will confess as a mac user it's not super intuitive in my opinion so as a mac user you're right it's not super intuitive and 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 let's break it down into a couple of very simple things you have what is called a scene so a scene in obs is basically what the people are seeing on their screens when you're distributing your stream, your stream. So basically a scene could consist of a webcam, your audio from your mic, your computer audio, if you're playing a video game or if you're playing videos or if you're showing audio there, and then possibly some text and some rotating images and, and a bunch of other in-depth stuff like that. So within a, a scene, there's going to be a number of what OBS calls sources. And those sources are exactly what I just mentioned. Like I took a screenshot of my OBS. One of my main OBS scenes uh, has a video capture device, which is my main webcam. Then it has a main screen cap or screen capture, which is my desktop. And then it has an image slideshow, which is a couple of rotating images. And so you've got your scenes. And then within those scenes, you have your sources. That's going to be the actual visuals that people are seeing on their screen. And then you've got obviously your audio coming in from your microphone and your desktop audio coming in from your PC, Mac, or whatever you're using. Do you need someone else to be switching the switches and all that kind of stuff? Or is it generally set it and forget it and just go live? <laughs> So the beauty is once you have a scene set up, it's set up for life, right? Until you change something or you kind of make something go a little differently. But normally what, what you do is you can transition from scene to scene directly with a, one click from within OBS. There's a, a little tab there that says scene transitions. You can tra change that transition to be something like a cut or a fade. That way when you do change from scene to scene, it has a little visual notifier letting people know that you are changing scenes. It makes it look a little smoother and it looks a lot more professional. Professional. And then obviously you can get even more in depth. And I have sitting in front of me right now uh, an Elgato Stream Deck. Uh, I'm actually partnered with Elgato. I feel like I should say that. But with you know different people and, and companies like Elgato, they provide with you what the TV stations and radio stations used to call switchers. And these are just clickable buttons that you can click through a device hooked up to your computer that you can basically trigger specific scene changes and ah, source. So changes. it's like a hardware switch that taps to the software and allows you to switch cameras and stuff like that. Is that what I'm hearing you say? It is a super cool way to switch between, and you're right, it's a piece of hardware, very small rectangle device that has 12 buttons on the interface that I can program to actually do anything I want within OBS. That is killer. Now, how do you spell that? So Elgato is E-L-G-A-T-O, and then the uh, Stream Deck is just one word, at, you know, Stream Deck. Uh, and then it has, I was wrong there, there's actually 15 buttons. Uh, and the beauty is you can actually set the images that you see when you click the button so you don't forget which button is which. So how much does one of those little hardware devices cost? So I paid, well, I paid for the first one, but the, the one that I have now is the newer one. And this one cost me uh, 200 bucks. And the software? interface to, to OBS? There, 
nothing. It's completely free. Once you, you purchase the hardware, it comes built in with the actual device. So I would imagine you could just, if you wanted to, just somehow like put a little sticker on it or whatever to know which is which. And then you just have these little things. And you just click the buttons when you want to switch your camera to to widescreen or to screen sharing or whatever, right? And then well, it makes it simple, at- right? Actually, the beauty is these little buttons have little miniature LED screens in them that mm. actually allow you within the software to add PNG images to them so wow. you know and can actually add your own digital images to the the actual button faces on the actual Stream Deck, which makes it so easy to know. And if you're a podcaster out there, by the way, I use a Stream Deck for all of my podcasts to do all of my sound effects and use it as a soundboard. Cool. What else do we need to know about OBS? So the last things really within OBS are just a couple of tricks of the trade. Um, Within the audio section of OBS, you want to kind of dive in there and under settings, you're going to see a bunch of different things like your stream, your output. Uh, Under audio, you're you're going to make sure you want to make sure obviously that your microphone or your um, audio interface is hooked up. But it also allows you to go in and add filters to your actual audio devices. So if you go on there and actually start uh, clicking around on the filters, you can see there's a couple. There's one called compressor, one called gain and noise gate. The two that I always do, Mike, is noise gate and noise suppression. And so noise gate allows me to eliminate any of the uh, white noise or background noise that may be coming from my computer or my keyboard or the air conditioning unit. And the noise suppression actually uh, suppresses all of those things even more. And then if you want to, you can even add a compressor to make your voice sound nice and sultry and radio-like uh, if, if that's something that you want to do. And then lastly, the, the last thing I want to cover with OBS For some ungodly reason, these platforms such as YouTube and Twitch and places like that make it really difficult for people to find their stream key. And a stream key is basically a a, a string of characters, string of letters and numbers that you go ahead and put in the back end of OBS that comes from either YouTube or Twitch or wherever you're streaming from that allows OBS to know what channel to broadcast your stream on. I see. And for for some reason, Twitch and YouTube make these things so hard to find. And so I'm not sure, Mike, if I can send you later. I've made a couple of videos simply showing people. Yeah, we, on can, the put newer, that, we can put those in the show notes for sure. The newer version of Twitch and YouTube of how to find a stream key. And Mike, this is going to blow your mind. The The stream key videos on both YouTube and Twitch that I've done are, are both under, you know, right around two or three minutes. They've almost, one of them's got over a million. The other one's got like seven or 800,000. So again, data is showing me that these platforms are making it way too hard uh, how to find their stream keys. But that's really it on OBS. It's a great tool. Once you get in there, once you start learning about it, it, it kind of becomes second second nature. Okay. Um, I do have a couple questions. First of all, does OBS somehow bring in the comments for you to see when you're live streaming mm-hmm. if you want to engage with your audience or do you have to work around that? So that's a really good question. Um, unfortunately, you kind of have to work around it. There are tools like Streamlabs, uh, which is kind of external um, uh, software that allows you to pull in your chat. So like, for instance, for YouTube, your actual chat room will have a, a, a specified URL. And so what you do is within OBS, you just add a source that is called media source. So under media source, you basically title that media source chat or chat room, whatever you want to title it. And then basically where it says local file, uh, under, under local file. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mike. It's not media source. Uh, I was completely wrong. It's browser source. I'm sorry. I was looking at the wrong one. It's browser source. So when you go to browser source, it will allow you to go and insert that actual URL. And it's going to allow you to treat 
the actual chat box, just like an image that you could manipulate on your screen. And so you take that URL from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitch, wherever, and you put that within the browser source onto OBS, and it actually will show the chat room on top of your stream. Interesting. Just for you or for everyone? Everyone. I see. And if you wanted to see it just for you, I guess you'd have to have another computer side by side or something like so, that? So basically, you'll either have to have a dual monitor or make your windows smaller and, and go ahead and, and pop out. YouTube gives you the option to, it says pop out chat, and you pop out chat, and it just basically can be placed anywhere on your desktop. One of the things that I know about software like OBS and Wirecast is they can broadcast in a pretty high quality. Um, can you do all the way to 4K? Do you recommend that? What's your thoughts on that? So I never recommend people to do 4K. Uh, could it do it, hy you know, hypothetically speaking? Yes, it could. And you're getting into things like bitrate when you start talking uh, about the quality of a stream. And that's another thing that within the settings, you know, you go to your video settings there and you want your, you know, they have a base canvas resolution which is what your actual desktop is. And then they have one that's called output or scaled resolution. And it's kind of what you want to output to. Normally people are, are, are taking their base canvas to be 1080p and their, their you know, resolution for the output will be 1080p as well. But if you have one of those really nice monitors, like what I'm looking at right now, we've got a really nice LG monitor that the uh, resolution is uh, around 2K. It's not quite 4K. You can try, but what I recommend is that you test it first to make sure that your internet can, can hold up. And then if your camera has 4K, I would imagine it would just downscale at the 1080 or something like that. Is that so how that it, works? It, it downscales all of the sources to, to 1080 or whatever you have that output scaled resolution to be. Uh, and like with my webcam, the C922X, which is from Logitech, uh, it actually can do uh, the, the, the 4K, but I actually downscale it to 1080p and it looks fantastic. Do you need to have a powerful computer to do all this? Um, at, can you do it off an old laptop? What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts on that are is that you can do it off old laptop. It really, it it, it really depends more on the internet connection. To be honest with you, mm -hmm. um, if you have an older laptop, again, you may have to kind of crank down the uh, the bit rate, which will again affect your resolution and uh, affect the quality that the actual viewer is getting and seeing. Um, but if you have an older PC or an older Mac, it should work fine. You just need to test out the bit rates and kind of see what the the, the resolution can be uh, without actually dropping frames. Now, um, when you are going live, do you tend to um, just show your face or are you showing your face over the top of a desktop or what are you normally doing when you're going live? So when I start a TubeBuddy uh, live show, what I do is I come uh, I come at the people. <laughs> I said this kind of sounds kind of funny, but I come at them with my uh, my face on one side of the screen and then the chat room on the other side. So it kind of gives them a view of me and my surroundings here, uh, as well as the chat kind of running through as people kind of continue to kind of talk and interact. And then as the stream progresses, I will then transition into a uh, screencast, which will be uh, my webcam in the lower left hand quadrant of the screen and then they'll see what's on my screen if I'm like doing YouTube channel reviews or if I'm showing them a, a tool within TubeBuddy or whatever I may be doing, uh, it actually allows me to go in and show them exactly what's happening on my screen and then through the beauty and the magic of the stream deck, I can switch back uh, you know, between the two or three different scenes and it looks just like a, a really smooth and thought out kind of stream. Awesome. Um, let's talk about audio quality. What do we, I mean, you and I are podcasters. We obviously are using uh, professional equipment, but not everybody has this kind of a rig. So what do you recommend as far as audio? 
So there's three levels of this that I, I always talk about. There's the, uh, the the really inexpensive over-the-head microphones that uh, uh, that look like the 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 phones or the headsets that a lot of truckers drive here in the South. They 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 talk on these CBs. They got these big uh, what Garth Brooks used to wear, or he probably still does on his concerts. So you've got that over-the-ear microphone uh, with the pop filter there. You can get some of those for you know 50 bucks, 30 bucks. Logitech makes them, and they're all over Amazon. I recommend if you can afford it and kind of spring for it to go for a USB mic like the Blue Yeti or the Blue Snowball. So that would be kind of level two. That microphone plugs directly into your computer. No other hardware is required. And then once you're really getting into it, I recommend level three, which is what you and I are speaking on right now, uh, which are XLR microphones such as the Heil PR40 yep. uh, or the Shure SMB7 uh, or the what I have, what I'm speaking in right now, the Newman TL103. And then that's kind of the three different levels of audio. Yeah, I'm on a high LPR 40. So, so um, the good news is, I mean, the audio is actually really important. Let's talk about that for a second, right? It's almost more important that you have good audio than, than good video, I think. What do you think? So if people can't understand what you're saying, they're not going to stick around for the stream. And no success can be had if you're not, uh, again, I don't mind you in the beginning streaming to zero people. And, and, you know, that's going to be something we talk about here very soon. But what does bother me is if that every time someone comes in your stream, they're like, oh my goodness, I can't hear this person. What's going on? It's very crackly. It's very muffled. Or all I can hear is their, their air conditioning unit or this and that. All of that is due to audio quality and liter literally for like 80 or 100 bucks, you can get a Blue Yeti that will sound really good. A lot of times, Mike, I don't recommend going to the high LPR 40 because if you don't have a good recording space and Mike, you know this, the nicer microphones will actually make you sound worse because they pick up more stuff. Yeah. And it, it, it gets really expensive. I mean, like I've got a mixer board and I've got, you know, all this equipment and this big arm and stuff. And it does take up a lot of room. I would imagine even a good lapel mic would be sufficient. I don't know. Do and you have so, any recommendations on that? So yeah, the one that I would recommend is called a Tazcam, T-A-Z-C-A-M. You can look at them on YouTube. I actually use them for my videography projects, like when I do weddings and stuff. I've actually streamed with a, uh, a lapel and, and the Tascam was the one that, that I used. Um, and, and basically you can use any lapel mic that you want as long as it can connect via an audio interface. And it may add a couple of extra steps that may be a little confusing until you get used to the actual hardware, but you can use lapel mics if you want to just understand that lapel mics are all about placement. And if you put the, the, the little, the, the little bobber is what I call it too close to your chin, you're going to get a lot of popping. And if you put it way far down to your belly button, you're not going to be able to be heard. So make sure uh, when you're talking into a microphone that you're, you know, there's a lot more to it than just plugging it in and speaking. You got to think about your environment. And I know you and I, we have uh, soundproofing and studios and things like that. So for us, it's a little easier, but you know, until you get to that point, there are things you can do like finding a car, finding a carpeted room, uh, getting a couple of the uh, soundproofing panels for like 12 or 15 bucks off Amazon to put on your walls, get literally get a curtain or a mattress, put it around you, go to a closet where it's a smaller room. I put you a plant in my office, believe it or not, and that helped get rid of the echo. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Now there's things like that you can do. So yeah, audio is crucial. And obviously if we wanted to, we could go much more in depth with this, but I'm an audio person, Mike, and I know I'm not sure about you, but when I go watch a video or a live stream, even if it's about something that I'm super interested in, if they have poor audio or I can't really understand or make out what they're saying or if it's crackling the whole time, I'm just going to hit that back button and go to another video or stream. 
Uh, you mentioned the Logitech um, camera, and um, I a lot of people nowadays have cameras built into their computers. Do you recommend using those to begin with, or would you spring for a Logitech? So it depends on the computer that you have. A lot of people have the the older MacBooks or even the newer MacBooks that have the iSight camera, which is what a lot of people have used before, like in the iMacs and things like that. Even, uh, you know, now newer PCs and, and, and Google notebooks and things like that have the built-in webcams. I honestly would, would tell your audience, Mike, that if you can please look into the Logitech C920. Um, and if you go on Amazon right now, I actually pulled this up. You can get a Logitech C920 for under 50 bucks. So for, for $47, and if you have Prime, that's free shipping, obviously. And so uh, 47 bucks for a, a, a huge difference because the quality of your eyesight camera because of, of the way the hardware is and because of how small that is or because of how, you know, basically how they had to kind of compress it to, to, to make room for it in those computers, it really degrades the quality. But if you can get a Logitech webcam, say the C920 or even the C922 or C922X, I would highly recommend going and springing for one of those. I have the 922 and I think that the video lens is about the size of a dime versus the one built into my iMac is like, gosh, I mean, like so tiny compared to it, you know? And when I first plugged it in, I was like, wow, world of difference. Now it has its own audio source on it. So you do have to be careful to pick your audio source, right? Because some of these cameras have oh, audio on them and they're not very good for audio, but they're very good for video. So you just, I would imagine, just have to make sure you configure everything, right? <laughs> That's a mistake that a lot of live streamers and even video creators make is that they don't select their audio source. And so that's kind of what I was speaking on earlier about going into that audio tab right. and making sure that your mic slash auxiliary audio device, number one, is set to be either your audio interface or your microphone itself. Absolutely. And speaking of those little cameras, Mike, uh, my grandfather, who's 93 years old, he's a World War II vet. He actually covers his up and makes sure that it's never looking at him because he says people are, is what Google's watching him. Well, you know what? I'm not going to tell you that uh, they're not or they are, but I know that some people in my family <laughs> use sticky pads. Some people in my family, I'm not going to name who they are, but they put little sticky notes over them. I'm not so concerned about that. Oh, but but uh, okay, so let's now... Um, Anything else on the tech before we get into kind of the last questions here about like how you structure the show? No, I think the software, you know, with the OBS, then you have the audio and video, you, you, you mix those together. It's kind of like a, a really good meal or a really good dish. You know, you, you've got those three ingredients. And if you kind of put those together along with a good kind of show structure, I think you're going to see success. Do you recommend doing a, can, can, does YouTube allow you to do a show, a live show without broadcasting it to everyone? So you could do like a test run or something like that? Not yet. But I would but, imagine you could just do one and then delete it when you're done, right? If you wanted to do a test, right? So the way it works natively is that as soon as you get done with a live stream and you hit end stream, YouTube processes that video and uploads it like it would a normal video. But all you've got to do, go into your video manager, select that video, hit the delete button. It's gone forever. Cool. All right. Um, you've been structuring a lot of shows. So give some tips on like, you know, how we should maybe at a high level, um, run our shows when we decide to create a regular show that we're broadcasting to YouTube. So you've got to be prepared that you may not have ver very many people in the actual audience come to actually watch what you're doing on stream, especially in the beginning. And so <clears throat> stru show structure, say that five times fast, is really difficult to kind of iron out. But as you get better, as you do it more, you'll kind of understand what works best for you. But what I have learned is that in the beginning, 
you want to have a show topic. You want there to be some overarching theme of that specific stream. So the example I gave earlier was how to A-B test thumbnails using TubeBuddy. And so if that were to be my overarching theme of the actual stream, I would start by saying, hello everyone, welcome to today's stream. I really appreciate you all stopping by. The first thing I always do, Mike, is get them involved. And so what I'll do next is I will say, where's everyone coming from today? Let me know in chat. And then while doing this, I'm going ahead and transitioning into the topic. But as I'm doing that, people are funneling in, they're commenting, and by the way, more interaction on a live stream on YouTube. There is no data or there is no proof of this, but I think, again, this is an opinion, I think the more interaction you get on an actual live stream, the more YouTube will promote it and they'll promote your future streams. I found that. It's it's just the way that it is. How long do you do that for? Because I'm, you know, like you said, it turns into a regular video and people are going to have to fast forward through all that stuff, right? Uh, again, very quickly. As soon as I say, where's everyone coming from? But the, the wonderful thing is my YouTube actually just released a new thing where the actual VODs, the the the, the recordings of the streams will actually play alongside the live chat. And so what I found with my audience is that people are going watching these live streams and they're getting to see what happened in the exact time that it happened uh, like with Facebook the chat. Does. Yeah, just like, just Facebook. like Facebook does. That's yes. cool. Yes. All right, what else? And so once I do that, I transition into the theme of the show and I'm like, all right guys, today we're gonna be talking about A-B testing thumbnails using the TubeBuddy tool. I may have some slides prepared, maybe three or four slides that I've done in Photoshop or uh, Keynote on my Mac. And I will switch over to those scenes to kind of get a, a better visual about what I'm doing. And then as I'm streaming, as I'm talking about the topic, there's gonna be questions coming in, hopefully, fingers crossed, if you've got people in the chat. But that's why you've gotta prepare content in case you only have one or two people and none of them are speaking. Mm. You don't just want to say, oh, none of you guys are talking or responding to me, so I'm going to hit the end stream and I'm done. No. If you want to get better, if you want to get more people in there, you just keep going. I can't tell you how many Twitch streamers I've talked to where they were like, man, for the first three months, I literally was talking to myself and my dog in the room. And we've got to be okay with that because if you are a new streamer or a person who doesn't have an audience coming from somewhere else, it can be difficult to get an, a viewership. And so with that, you want to make sure you're prepared with some type of theme and some type of something that you can talk about if there is no interaction. And then how do you close it out? The way I like to close it out is I say, I want to leave you guys with what I call a call to action. This is my live stream call to action. This could be the most integral part of what I do. This is going to let them know, okay, hey guys, I'm going to be live streaming every Thursday on my YouTube channel at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That way they know, they're like, oh, it's like a TV show. They're going to be expecting it every time. Let them know where they can find you and give them some food for thought or give them a question. So say say to them, in in the case of what we're talking about with the A-B testing of thumbnails on YouTube, you can basically just say, all right, guys, what do you think are the best ways to do this or the topic that we talked about or make them interact with the video even more after you publish it? And I always recommend publishing the video unless you screwed up and and the video just turned out awful. If you publish it, it gets even more traction as time goes on. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dusty, first of all, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and insight with us. If people want to follow you or track your live streams or anything else you've got going on, where do you want to send them? 
So for me, it's, you know, my channel, thank God, by the way, I changed the channel from Technology Guru 77 to my, my just my name. So it's Dusty Porter on YouTube, and you'll see that there in the show notes. But I really want to encourage you guys, if you're interested in online video, YouTube specifically, go check out my podcast, uh, the YouTube Creators Hub podcast. And I also do a show for TubeBuddy called TubeBuddy Express. So I've got those two podcasts out there. And I've, I've done interviews with over 100 YouTube creators at this point, and talking about online video, talking about live streaming, talking about making it and the strategies that it takes to get to a point to where you can spread your message on YouTube. And so definitely go over there uh, if you're interested in, and it's Dusty Porter all over the social medias and things like that. Awesome. And that podcast again, YouTube Creators Hub podcast. Dusty YouTube Porter. YouTube Creators Hub. Yep. Awesome. Thank you, sir, for joining us this week and sharing all your wisdom with us. Mike, I loved it. Loved being on the show. Really appreciate you having me and we'll talk to you guys next time. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's interview. If there was anything that you missed, don't worry. I took all the notes for you by visiting socialmediaexaminer.com slash 312. You will find those notes. New to this podcast, hit the subscribe button. Regular listener would love a review. Socialmediaexaminer.com slash apple. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.